Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online, and Happy Father's Day. It's 2021, it's Father's Day this year, and being a dad is one of the greatest joys in my life. I love it. I've got four kids, and two of them are girls, and so as a dad, I think about the future for them, and we spend time uh, praying for their future husbands and who they'll marry in the future, Um, and I think sometimes about when I was getting ready to marry my wife, Erin, at a certain point I asked her dad for permission to, to marry her, and it was a, it was a pretty frightening time for me. <laughs> I was really nervous. I was about 19 years old, and uh, we, got, we went out to breakfast, and I just felt nothing but pressure. I was not used to having intense conversations like this. And uh, when I had popped the question to my future father-in-law, he uh, looked over his glasses and he asked the question that you'd probably expect any good dad to ask. Well, how are you gonna provide for my daughter? It's a pretty big question, it's an important one, and I think I gave the most unconvincing answer (laughs) that you could imagine. It was something along the lines of, well, when we uh, graduate from college, I'm gonna find a job. And I had no idea what that was gonna be at the time. I had no clue. And to be honest, I probably, if I was in his shoes, I would have been pretty hesitant about saying yes to me. But praise the Lord, things have worked out. And uh, my in-laws have been very gracious over the years, and I've been very grateful for their ongoing support. But, you know, we did get married, and the whole financial provision thing was something that took some time to get moving. Putting together a stable financial life was challenging. As young, a young married couple, I had a series of jobs over the first couple of years and some that were pretty awful. And there would be different times when our bank account would have more or less in it. And I began to notice that my sense of uh, well-being and stability in life was tied to how much was in my bank account. If we had a few grand in there, I was feeling pretty good. And if we're below $100 left or I'm overdrawing the bank account and getting overdraft you know, fees, then those were the times when I was really stressing out. I, my, my emotions were pretty well tied to our bank account balance. And over the years, I think I've noticed that God allowed our financial position to fluctuate. And I think he, I think he did that and does that still sometimes now so that we would trust in Him, not in our earning power. That would really develop just to get our, really just solidify our trust in Him. So the same is still today, our need for just to keep trusting Him, it continues. And financial stability seems like something you could attain, but in these days, with the way life is now and the way the economy is now, sometimes it seems like there may be less predictable ahead. Sometimes we live in Southern California and sometimes you see smoke from a fire somewhere. Maybe on the edge of the city, you know, even recently, a few times recently, I've seen smoke and I think, oh man, there must be a, there must be a fire. And it doesn't really look that far away. And the thought is like, is it, is it getting houses? And I look, I, immediately I look up, I, if I see a big, big smoke in the city, I wanna know where it is. And of course the thought is, is it gonna get to us? Is it going to hit us? And are we in danger? Is our house in danger? And lately I've been feeling similar. 
at times about our economy. <laughs> Thinking about maybe, maybe there's smoke on the horizon, you know, with the way the price of gas is just going through the roof. Uh, it seems like there's some kind of inflation happening. The housing market is skyrocketing. Even the way government spending has been rolling out and some of the questions that I have about that or, or being unsure about the long-term impact about some of the things that are happening in our country. It seems like there's the real possibility for financial trouble in our future. It, I don't know, but it seems like that's a possibility. Maybe there's, there's trouble ahead. So whether it's personally or on a broader scale, financial matters really can cause a great deal of worry for us. And this is nothing new. This is, I would imagine, been the case for people all throughout the centuries. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights. And today we're concluding a message series called Catalysts. And we've been looking at six catalysts. There's ways to grow our faith in God. And so at the conclusion of this series today, we're going to look at the topic of money and finances and generosity. And here's the reason. God wants us to trust him on a deep level. He really wants our faith in him to grow. Really, God wants our heart. And money tends to be the quickest way to get to it. God has used finances to get my full attention at times. His pattern is to do the same with all of his children. God will often use finances to get us to trust him more or to put us in positions where we have to consider doing that. So God wants to help us deal with our money ultimately in a way that produces less stress and brings blessing to our lives and the lives of people around us. Finances are a really big deal in the Bible because they're an extremely accurate gauge of our spiritual life. The way that we handle money, boy, it says a lot about how real we think God is or how true we think the Bible is. And so we're going to walk through Jesus' teaching about money where he shows us how to deal with money worries. And what we normally tend to do is we tend to separate spirituality and maybe religion and following God and separate that from something that seems very earthly like money. But Jesus, he doesn't separate those topics. He welds our spiritual life and our money life together. They're, they're totally tied up, wrapped up together. Our money management is a huge indicator of how much we really trust God. It shows what we live for. If you look at the way our money goes out and what we spend and transaction history on credit card statements, all of that shows what's important to us. God wants to help you have the best life and to live for the right things. So he gives us a lot of help in his word, a lot of guidance and instruction, principles that we really need to live by in order to experience the life that he's intended. So I'm going to wrap up this message series by looking through some of Jesus' teaching on finances in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount shows the heart of Christianity. It's considered by many to be the greatest sermon delivered and preached by the greatest teacher of all time. And so as we walk through this section on money, we're going to focus on a few broad questions. There's financial questions that can deepen my faith. So we're going to look at these. Answering these questions the right way helps us to deal with financial worry and stress. The first question is, what's most important to you? Now, we're going to look starting in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. 
And Jesus starts off addressing this question. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's, he's acknowledging that stuff breaks. Stuff rots, gets got to throw out. And at times we get robbed from. I don't know if you ever left the garage door open at night and been robbed or had things taken out of your car. All, all kinds of stuff that we can invest our money in can be ruined in some way. Where we invest what we have, our resources, it's really where we've placed our heart. It reflects our allegiance and priorities. What we pour our money into is a gauge of really what's most important to us. There's a book called The Day That America Told the Truth, and it's a fascinating book. It's a, it's a book that's a series of surveys that trying to get at what Americans really think and feel. And so there's a chapter on money, and here's what they found. It's actually a little bit scary, what, what they discovered. They found out that for about, for, for $10 million, one out of four of us Americans would abandon our friends. Uh, we would also abandon our religious faith. And about one in four of us would become a prostitute for a week. That's crazy. It seems crazy. It said 7% of Americans would murder someone for $10 million. Now that seems really crazy. This is, this is scary. They, so they lowered it in the survey to 5 million, same results, and then 4 million, and then 3 million, and, and the same thing. They're not sure how long they could have gone, how much they had to lower it before it would change the results. Seems like some people would do just about anything for money. This is why Jesus makes the connection between the way we handle our money and our heart. There's a direct link between the two. It's out of our heart that our behavior flows. So he wants, Jesus wants us to wrestle with the question, where is your heart right now? What is important to you? Where do you want your heart to be? If your heart is with God, then we will follow his guidance and instructions. And we look over our money and possessions and we say, Lord, how can I make sure that I'm managing my money, even being generous, in a way that my heart stays with you? If money is the most important thing on my list of priorities, then it's going to generate a lot of stress. That was, that was my case early in marriage. Money was very important. Having financial stability was very important. And anytime that was threatened, it was very stressful for me. But if eternal things are the most important, then there's less stress about what I'm going to get out of this life. So there's another question that comes up as Jesus goes on. The second question is, who is your leader? And he, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this verse, or what, when Jesus made this statement, he's bringing up a fundamental truth in life, that we all have one leader. There's only one God that can operate in our worldview, in our life, in the way that we operate. Jesus brings us to a fork in the road where we've got to choose who's driving the car. If you're going to be an authentic Christ follower, then you've got to put him behind the wheel. 
And God will take us in a very different direction than if money was our God and driving our decisions. And where God takes us, it actually will be the road to blessing and life that's full. This really, this is a promise of God. Putting God in the driver's seat of my life and allowing him to lead me in the way that I handle my money, it's really the key to breaking free from fear and worry about finances. We can get free from that. So then that brings us to question number three that is raised by what Jesus says. Next question is, who do you trust? And we look at that in Matthew 6, 25-30. He continues on his sermon. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? I'd say I'd probably spend a fair amount of time thinking about my clothing. <laughs> what I'm going to wear each day, preserving my clothes or finding, thinking about new things I want to buy. Spend a lot of time about that. Same thing about what I eat kind of meals that I want, having enough variety, having enough healthy stuff. I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about those things. And when Jesus brings this up, he peels back the curtain, gives us a glimpse of the way that God feels about us. And so next, he, you know, hold that thought about the things we spend our time on. And he compares us to birds. <laughs> he says in the next verse, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. They don't get all, you know, they don't have storage units full of birdseed. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they are? The simple logic is that we're worth far more to God than even, you know, even the uh, inexpensive birds, even the most expensive bird too. Imagine uh, a palm cockatoo. These, this, this bird is perhaps one of the most expensive birds that you can buy. They sell for $16,000. But you know what? Humans are the most valuable creatures on the planet. God has given us the number one spot in the world, in the created world. This is a tremendous amount of value and dignity. God is saying that if we trust him, he will meet our needs. And if we use our resources in the way that he wants, he'll meet our needs. Next, Jesus uses some impeccable logic to make his point. He says, can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? He says, you know, in this idea of money and resources and finances and, and worries and current concerns and a desire for stability, he says, can you worry and have it do anything? Well, no, it, it actually worries pretty counterproductive. For example, if you worry that you're going to die before your time, does that worry give you a few more seconds at the end of your life? Worry makes no positive contribution. It actually eats us up. They've done studies about how worry causes high blood pressure. It increases the chance of heart attack or stroke. Um, it makes our heart beat faster, do damage. And then it even spills into our families and our, our marriages and our relationship with our kids. Actually, in a, another study, uh, money is listed as the number two cause of divorce. It's... Uh, sandwiched right between infidelity and the lack of communication. So worry, it makes no positive contribution to our lives. Jesus knows all of this, and so he's showing us how to deal with the poison of worry. So in the, in the next verse, he says, So why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. The, you know, the flowers don't clothe themselves. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. 
If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do so much more for you, you of little faith? God cares enough about the wildflowers, enough to clothe the fields in beauty. Something, And those things sometimes only last a few days, especially if you're in the hot Southern California summer like we are right now. Plants are dying left and right. But God takes care of the beauty of the grass and the fields. How much more will he take care of people who are going to last forever? So Jesus concludes this section by leading us to answer one more question. What purpose will you pursue? And so he says in verse 31, So don't worry. Don't say, what will we eat? or What will we drink? Or what will we wear? People are made to pursue a purpose. It's really in our DNA. We, we want to have a purpose in life. God wired this into our makeup. So we either pursue the stuff of this world and we just make that our purpose. Things like money and possessions, influence and power or pleasure. We can try to fill our lives up with these things and get enough of them because that's what seems to be the right way. But all that stuff is going to fade and rot. But if we pursue God's kingdom and his ways, he promises to fill us with overflowing. In verse 32, he says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The food, the clothes, the money, all that stuff. He knows that we need, he knows we need to live. Jesus says that worry dominates the thoughts of people without faith. If people don't have faith in God, that, these are the things that just fill our minds. And so he's referring people that... God really loves, really cares for, but they've decided to live their own way, independent of Him. And when we choose to trust ourselves, God leaves us to it. He leaves us to provide for ourselves and fend for ourselves. And so next, here's a really incredible promise that Jesus gives to wrap up this section on money. He, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. This is an incredible promise. All the stuff we need, God will take care of it. If we set our focus on the right things. It says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough worry about itself. Well, it'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So money and stuff and those typical financial concerns that we have, man, that's not the substance of life. Jesus says that eternal things, things that will last forever, that's the thing that we should consume our focus with. And we can store up treasures in heaven by investing in those things. The eternal things that we can focus on and put our resources towards, well, God is eternal. He's going to last forever. We can invest there. His word and his kingdom are eternal. And then people are eternal. These are, this is what we find in Scripture. So if we get to know God by obeying him, we soak up his word in the Bible and know how to do it, that's an internal investment that'll never be lost. The other, other investment is to, for us to advance his kingdom through the church, how to really team up and move the mission of the church forward. We can figure out how, to, how do we extend God's kingdom and help other people come to know Jesus and to step into the kingdom of light. And then if we give a priority to the people around us, choosing to treat them right, and serving them by looking to their interests. These are all eternal investments that we can make right now. And we can put our money into these things as well. We can give our time 
as well, and our money, any of our resources. And as we do that, Jesus promises to lay up treasure for us in heaven. And that treasure is secure. It's free from rust and thieving people. (laughs) So if we seek God's kingdom and righteousness in this way, God promises to meet our needs, both financial and spiritual. If I pursue doing God's will and fulfill my role to extend his kingdom, he guarantees that my needs will be met. It's amazing. Practicing generosity, becoming more open-handed with our resources and our, our time, and being willing to move those in the direction of God and people and, his, and the church, practicing generosity really is a catalyst for growth because as we release that tight grip on what we have, we can watch God provide for us take care of us in the way that he's promised in this passage. And I wanted you to hear from somebody who's wrestled through some of this and has thought a lot about giving and generosity and um, as that relates to his relationship to God. And so um, you're going to hear from Zach. And I I heard him talking at a group recently about some of the way he's been processing uh, generosity. So you can listen to this. When I very first started giving, it was a, it was a challenge to start giving because, um, you know, not growing up as a Christian, I, I never knew that, you know, Christians did this thing where they give a consistent amount every month. So when I started learning more about it, like it was a, it was a big challenge to like, you know, I, I kind of felt the, the, I felt the push to do it. And I, and it, like, like I felt God like kind of, you know, trying to kind of tell me, hey, this is something that, you know, is, is how you show your, is the one way you show your obedience. That was hard, because like, again, that money could go to a lot of different places. We found out one of our family friends is a, is a full-time Christian missionary. Um, she had like, you know, she had said something about how like she survives and like lives off of people's donations. And, uh, you know, my wife and I looked at each other, we're like, oh no, but she's got enough already. <laughs> and then, you know, it just started weighing more and more on me of like, no, I think that we should, like, we should support her and we get, so we finally did. And then to hear the stories back from her of like, how that money has like, changed so many people's lives for the better. It's, it, it kind of reminds you of like, that's another reason why we give is because that money is powerful and it, and it can be used for really good things. So I'm like a very avid budgeter. I know where all the money that I spend goes. And so to see, you know, the tithe and, and how much we give to other other places and other people, we, we see that and we're like, you know, that's a lot of money going out. We could, uh, we could you know, live somewhere different or change our living style a little bit. This is what we need to do and this is what we're doing every month. So when we see the money come out, it's it's like a consistent monthly reminder of who we're trusting in and, and who we've placed our trust in because when we give and then and then God provides those things for us anyways after we had given it just kind of like reinforces like God wants to provide for us and will provide for us if we continue to trust in him and so that's just another way of like hey we're trusting you with everything including our finances and to see him always come through and follow through with everything we've we've ever needed is like such a, a great thing to, to see. There is more to life than just the earthly treasures that we see everywhere, that we tend to be so drawn towards. God wants to help us discover the real treasure. So as we wrap up, you might consider moving to the next level in your giving. When it comes to money, we tend to find ourselves on a spectrum somewhere. There's maybe four stops on this spectrum. 
um, where we can move. We need to move. The first stop is struggling <laughs> financially. I'm struggling and my heart's all over the place and I'm, I'm, uh, there's this emotional roller coaster of, of things breaking down and me not being able to scrape things together. Or, and there's a lot of stress involved. You know, the financial struggle can be real. So we can move from struggling to stable. That maybe is the next step. Where if you're financially stable, you might see yourself as a steward of your resources. Maybe you've got a plan. You've learned to budget or live within your means. So we can move from struggling to stable, then to surrendered. If we have surrendered our finances to God, that means I want to live in obedience to what he said and the guidelines and the principles that he's given. And then I'm, I'm continually looking to extend what God gives me to his kingdom and his purposes. So I keep taking my money and asking, God, what's, what pleases you with the way that I handle this? And then the last step would be moving from surrendered to sacrifice. And this is, a, this is a, another level altogether where we've moved beyond obedience to where there's times that God asks us to release even more or opportunities come up for a lot of extra giving and generosity. Where are you on the spectrum currently? Are you struggling or stable? Do you need to move to surrender or to sacrifice? You might also consider some of those questions that were brought up by the passage today and maybe identify which of these questions do you need to wrestle through with the most? Um, first question was, what's most important to me? Who is my leader? Who do I trust? And what purpose will I pursue? Thinking through these questions from a biblical perspective, that is the way to handle financial worries. We can surrender to, be using, be, to being used for God's purposes each day, and He will meet our needs if we do it. He guarantees it. So this is the concluding message in this series on Catalysts. We looked at personal disciplines with a real focus on prayer. We looked at practical teaching, living out the Bible. We looked at providential relationships and how people help us deepen our faith. Uh, personal ministry, a life of giving towards others. Pivotal circumstances, those life-changing moments, and then today, practical generosity. These six things are catalysts that God uses to cause our faith to deepen. And if you want to review any of these, all of these are available on our website or on our podcast. And next week, we'll be starting a brand new message series that I think will be a real help to you. And so I invite you to come back and join us again. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your care for us and the uh, real compassion that's evident in this passage that we studied, how you really care for your people and you provide for us. Help us to move to the next level of generosity and just releasing our desire and some of the worry that we have related to money and um, that we'd have eyes to see you coming through for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next time.